Hi, everyone. It's a special edition, despecialized edition, <laughs> VergeCast. Uh, we are talking about Star Wars and nothing but Star Wars for the next, um, I think we got 43 minutes. So, uh, so, so you are strapped in, ready to <laughs> <laughs> journey to a galaxy far, far away. Hopefully you're, watch, uh, you're listening to this after the uh, after Star Wars The Force Awakens has come out because we are going to be getting into some spoilers here. Um, three of us that are on this podcast have seen the movie. Two of us have not. One could not give less of a shit. <laughs> um, but let's uh, let's do some intros. Uh, with me here in New York, Ross Miller. Yes, and I'm not. I'm the one who hasn't seen it, but does kind of give a shit. Yeah. But also got so obsessed with spoilers that I've pretty much just ruined the movie for me. <laughs> Yeah, you really. Yeah, I I didn't even realize how much was out there that you could spoil spoil yourself on until after I saw the film, and I was like, oh, this might not. None of this might have been a surprise to anybody. Yeah. But that's uh, um, on Skype we have in L.A. Brian Bishop, senior reporter, um, a veteran of the official premiere, the world premiere mm-hmm. of Star Wars: The Force Awakens, a couple days yes, ago. Indeed. How changed premiere. are you? Uh, how changed am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was weird. It was kind of like this moment. If there was a a, a center of hype for this movie, it was it was that premiere because it was like you had this one room. There's three theaters, right? Four blocks of Hollywood Boulevard, you know, blocked off for this thing, uh, and in one room. You know, Abrams and Bob Iger from Disney are you know giving a standing ovation to Lucas, who was there, you know, uh-huh. acting like he was happy. And then it was you know, <laughs> taken over. Um, and a new movie happened, and it's all not his from here on out. So uh, it was good. I mean, we'll talk a little later about how I felt after the movie, but the, the premiere was definitely interesting. If you ever want to spend, you know, you know, several hours in a super cold tent in Hollywood, that was the place to be. Yeah, it looked like you were in, um, you were in hyperspace, like the weird kind of purpley foil tunnel right? look. It was more Tron than Star Wars, actually, okay. which is a little bit all strange. Right. But they tried, so it's good. Nice. Um, also joining us on Skype is uh, our film critic, Tasha Robinson, uh, calling him from Chicago. Also somebody who has seen Star Wars and will be writing about it very, very soon or <laughs> has already written about it. You will read her writing on it very, very soon. Um, what, t- tell me about seeing it in Chicago. What, uh, it's it just a bunch of critics. I mean, mine was just a bunch of critics, so. Just a bunch of critics? I just, that is so diminutive. <laughs> now it was a bunch of critics. Like, oh my God, <laughs> critics! <laughs> But yeah, it was, uh, George Lucas was not there. Nobody got a standing O. It was just a bunch of critics in a room, um, which is usually a, a kind of a dour affair. Yeah. Like critics only screenings, like everybody kind of tries to keep their reactions in because they don't want to give anything away to anybody else because we're all kind of in competition. But there was a lot of laughter in that room. Yeah. Like, there was a sense of tension and a sense of excitement that you really don't get very often with a critic screening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was applause for almost any throwback of which there were many and we'll get into that in a second uh in, in my screening a lot of laughs uh it was a very participa- participatory audience which um i think like something like star wars is one of the few things that can bring that out of a room full of critics i say was it was it entirely critics or is it, is it like a mix of like pr and like families well i was sitting next to um a couple of college kids um from drew university i'm not really sure where that is um but they were really into uh esports so they were talking a lot about esports and uh their friends uh, their friend's dad works for Disney, so mm. got them in. So cool for them. Um, <laughs> I didn't even want to ask. I was like, 
were you even born yet when Phantom yeah. Menace came out? You Do know you the answer. Remember? It's it's not yet. They so they would have been like sixteen or something or oh, sixteen yeah. if they, no no so if you were born when Phantom Menace came out you'd be sixteen now so they were probably like three they still wouldn't remember it they wouldn't <laughs> remember the entire the the angst of the Phantom Menace um, which uh, I guess we can kind of get into now just as a way to 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 roll into the film uh, there was a lot writing on this film mostly be- by way of bad example from the prequels. Um, I don't know how everybody feels individually about them, but I personally just watched episode three for the first time since theaters. I think, I think I only watched it once. Um, Oh God, it's so so bad, man. Like I know you watched all of it, Brian. Uh, You watched all three episode one, two and three in preparation for, for force awakens. How how did that, did that uh, inform your experience at all? (laughs) Or, I mean, it it certainly set expectations that the force awakens had no problem, you know, exceeding. I mean, (laughs) they are so painfully bad. It's, it is weird going back. Like I think conventional wisdom was that revenge of the Sith was the best of the prequels because it gave people what they finally wanted to see, which was Darth Vader. But you watch them again and it's kind of the worst. Like number one, (laughs) Phantom Menace is terrible, but at least you can tell like Lucas actually gave a shit. I feel like by Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, he was just like, sure, lava fight, go. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> he so didn't care. Nobody cared. I mean, it seemed like also like episode three was like, oh, shit, I actually have to do the plot. I have to like, connect this to four in some way. And like, yeah, because I just did the whole weekend watching one through six, all the, you know, the new versions, all the altered versions. But it was still like, I ended up enjoying Attack of the Clones more than the others. They all sucked. They all completely really sucked. Attack? I didn't even bother to look at Attack of the it, Clones. I mean, they're I was... all terrible, but the first one has the expectation of being the first, and the third one has to do plot. So the second one's like, it doesn't care. Yeah. It just It's okay being a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, but Ross, you're talking about a movie where Anakin and Natalie Portman roll around on the grass as they fall in love. Like that's kind of indefensible. But don't forget, Sand. I love you. No, I love you. Oh, and then love is blind. Oh, then lo- or what, whatever that freaking phrase <laughs> right. was. I don't like sand. It's coarse. It gets everywhere. <laughs> that's. I mean, <laughs> God bless that line. That line is <laughs> one of the worst movie lines of all time. I think. Like not even just if you are a Star Wars fan and you have an investment in Star Wars, it's just a plain out bad line. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's really really impossible to judge this movie in a vacuum, right? Like, duh. But also, even just with the the prequels, I mean, that I was saying that J.J. Abrams for Force Awakens actually is hugely indebted to George Lucas, not just because he invented Star Wars, but because he did it so wrong that there was a really, really clear <laughs> example of what not to do. So it's like, okay, we, like, don't take away all the things that we love about Star Wars. Like, keep film, keep this, like, warm feeling, keep this sort of, like, romantic comedy banter with people. Like, that's the things that people liked. They actually, like, this sort of quasi-religious tone of these, and, like, super slow tone of the the prequels actually had nothing to do with the original trilogy as far as like resembling them as films and i think uh i think that was just a really really good bellwether at least for him to to say okay i'm gonna go the opposite direction and for the most part i think it pays off and and like everything i've heard about the movie like and that sounds weird to say on the podcast about the movie, but uh, it's like J.J. Abrams has been very good about nostalgia. Like Star Trek was an homage to all Star Trek. Super 8 is an homage to a bunch of other stuff. Like it plays to like these certain beats. Yeah. That it just like he knows how to get people like wistful about mm-hmm. their childhood. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we're on the edge of getting into spoiler land. So before we go to our first ad, Caitlin, 
Uh, hype check Star Wars. <laughs> um, I mean, I Star Wars hype is not a number anymore. It's like a, a web that has entrapped everyone inside of it. Like, I don't care about Star Wars, and I've still spent probably four to five hours a day dealing with Star Wars on a daily basis for two months. <laughs> it's just so, like, it's not it's not hype. It's just the ether. Is is the web that has entrapped you uh, perhaps the web? The worldwide <laughs> web? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the World Wide Web of brands, of people I work with, and of, mm-hmm. and of you know, just the Verge audience. It's pretty impossible to it's avoid if you have Wars. anything to do with online publishing. It's hard. It's impossible to avoid Star Wars, especially this week. Um, but it's almost all over, right? We're about to be done with Star Wars, right? Nope, we've got an ad. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, uh, if you, if, if you are enjoying today's episode, you might want to check out another awesome podcast called Ventures, a series produced by iconic venture capital firm, Kleiner Perkins, who has invested in Google, Amazon, Twitter, and Uber. The Ventured podcast takes a close look at some of the fastest growing tech trends in Silicon Valley, as well as behind the scenes interviews with the tech giants from companies like Netflix and Google. The podcast episodes cover topics on pressing business and technology issues and the implications to our lives. Some of their conversation topics include the inside story of how Uber built a global business, how Google thinks about hiring, management, and culture, how cyber hacking is the new global battlefield, and even practical topics for entrepreneurs like tips for surviving a tech bubble. Cool. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Check them out on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Ventured. It'll be worth the listen. All right, let's get back into it. Um, From here on out, you've been warned, spoilers will abound. Um, So I want to talk to you, Tasha, just because I've been editing your piece that is about this very thing that Ross was talking about, this nostalgia in uh, in The Force Awakens and how um, almost carbon copy, I I like to think of it as Mad Libs because it's like fill in the blank. There's a new person (laughs) to put in each spot. Um, The plot is of The Force Awakens and... I came out of the movie kind of being very mixed about it. I would go five minutes thinking it was great. It felt awesome. And five minutes thinking it was very cynical, but I was wondering what you actually, first of all, whether you thought it worked or not. Well, it, I mean, it works as an experience. It works in the moment. I like, I walked out of the theater just feeling really ebullient, like really energized. Like that was, it felt almost like Star Wars did when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And there's not as much of a sense of discovery because you're watching the new hope again, a new hope, but it, in that sense, it felt like watching A New Hope again when I was a kid. Like, I was cynical by the time of Return of the Jedi. Like, I was a little kid when the first one came out. Mm-hmm. And by the time of Return of the Jedi, I was like, this is all digital. Like, there are all of these weird effects, and the, <laughs> the puppets are starting to go away, and it's like all action beats, and it doesn't feel dignified anymore. It doesn't feel serious. It doesn't have that that weight that made the first Star Wars, like, so creepy for a little kid. Yeah. And a lot of that is back here, but there's also just, you know, <laughs> seeing Han and Leia and Chewie again, seeing the Millennium Falcon again. There are all of these elements that keep getting brought up over and over that's like, remember everything you loved about Star Wars? Here it is again and we've kind of dusted it off and given it a new surface Mm -hmm. but we actually cared about making that surface real this time it's not just here's a digital version it's not like when they replaced the yoda puppet with a cgi yoda yeah it's more like they went back and dug out the uh the puppet yoda and like cleaned it up and brought frank oz back and paid him a billion dollars to do the voice it's like everything you loved about this we want to do it right again yeah yeah i think uh 
I think, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot made of Abrams shooting on film, using practical effects. There are still some digital effects. Uh, there's a, one or two characters where I feel like they could have done practical, maybe. Uh, not characters. I'm, I'm talking about those dumb monsters in the corridor and like the one scene where I was like, you guys could have lost this. Like they could have lost (laughs) 15 minutes. I feel like when in the whole action sequence around, um, around Han, like when we first meet Han, um, I feel like I haven't talked about this specifically with either, either Brian or Tasha, but like that scene, that was like the one, it was from a different movie. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It felt like it was, that felt, was the only thing that felt like it was studio mandated. Like, we need another action beat here. Because you could have taken it out and it wouldn't have affected the plot at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, and, that, and it also stuck out because of the the look of it, too. I mean, up until that point, all the stuff on Jakku, um, which, why isn't it tattooing? Like, why can't it just be tattooing? It is tattooing. It's just tattooing. <laughs> with, totally like, they literally could have gone through with a, a copy of the script for New Hope and just crossed out tattooing right in Jakku. Crossed yeah. out Obi-Wan Kenobi and wrote in Luke Skywalker. You know, crossed out Luke Skywalker and wrote in Rey. I mean, all of the elements are there. Like, yeah. all of them mm-hmm. piece by piece. And, like, the, the piece that I wrote is about, like, some of that works and some of it doesn't. And for me, it mostly worked until we got to yet another Death Star. Because mm-hmm. this is the third time we've done that rather than the second. Yeah. And I was like, really, we're going to that exact same well in yeah. the exact same way? But it's like, bigger. I know. It's so much bigger. Like, we've done this before. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. You don't understand. It's bigger. They actually do the, you know, they have the hologram or holographic like display like you know that they've always had in these uh the the rebel boardrooms uh where it's like here's here's the the death star and here's the star killer base or wait, star star killer base that's what it's called right um right yeah and it's like the resistance guy saying wait we we couldn't do better and they were like hush he's like <laughs> i understand how sequels work you made it bigger but i don't i don't see that that and they're like shut up we're sticking you in the closet we're doing it again yeah so, so i have a question so how how self-aware is it that it's like almost like a circuitous thing like that like we like these are like empire fanboys who've just tried to make a better version of that or yeah i uh i don't know ryan what do you think like I mean, it's weird looking after having seen the movie. It's interesting to look back at the whole campaign because while they were selling the movie, we were all talking about the nostalgia thing and, you know, the practical effects thing. And like clearly they were trying to go and, you know, erase people's memories about the prequels. But I think they actually have been selling this movie the entire time. It's a movie that they said, hey, you know, the other stuff was terrible. We're going to make something that has all those elements that you liked before. And the way it ends, which you can get to in a second. That, that's what it feels like when the real story begins, right? This movie mm-hmm. feels like strictly a transitional piece. It's an extraordinarily entertaining transitional piece and checks off all the boxes Star Wars fans want, right? Nobody's going to walk out of this and not say it doesn't feel like Star Wars, which is like the key thing I think they needed to accomplish. Um, uh, so in that sense, like they did what they needed to do, um, and it's fun. But it doesn't – It never. I don't think it was ever trying to actually be a great movie on its own, which is kind of weird. Yeah, because it, it does feel like – I mean, it's so – it just feels a very great quality that I don't know why they wouldn't try to add in some more original beats. I mean, that last scene that you're talking about that feels so dramatically different from the rest of the film, it feels like genuine new territory. Yeah. Um, and since I, since we're assuming that you've watched the movie at this point, if you're listening to this, I will say it is when we find Luke again, when Ray goes to see Luke, yo, 
You okay over there? I know those Don't names. care about Star Wars? <laughs> I just got in a fight with my boyfriend on Facebook Messenger because he found out I was going to hear the spoiler. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, the Verge cast ruining relationships, one relationship at a time. No, uh, oh, I mean, yeah, that happens at the end. But it's on this very, uh, it's in an unusual location. It just feels visually different. Um, there's no dialogue, um, which a lot of the film has been very chatty up until then in a way that's very, very reminiscent of like Han and Leia bantering and stuff. I mean, that's very much how like Ray and, um, and Finn sort of interact with each other. Um, and then it gets very quiet and it gets very like ominous. And part of me now is like, is that really what I want now? Even though it was exciting in the context of a movie. Cause I feel like that's too much of what the prequels was, was like, overly uh, precious about like how serious we had to be about this space story. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited to see Well, we can talk more. Let, let's save moving forward for the end. Um, let's just talk about characters. Um, I mean, the, for me, the, the leads, the three uh, new leads, I guess, uh, Oscar Isaac, um, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley, they were all three really, really strong. And I left thinking, oh, maybe also one of the biggest differences between this and the prequels is just that the actors feel like real people and they're allowed to feel like humans. That felt like such a huge change. Um, but did anybody have a, uh, a particular standout or? For me, it's Finn, because like as much as I love Ray and as much as I love the fact that the whole movie kind of teases you about is she going to stay a character in her own right or is she going to become another like maiden in distress? And the the film keeps teasing, oh, somebody's going to have to rescue her. Oh, no, no, she's she's got this over and over and over. And I loved that. I love the character. But for me, she's kind of a Luke Skywalker remix. Like she's she starts off as the hayseed on this desert planet and she wants to escape and she gets out in the world and soon she's got a, a, a lightsaber and the force and all this stuff. So she's a character that we haven't seen done before by a woman, but she's a character we've seen done before. And then Poe, I thought was a lot of fun, but he's new Han Solo. He's mm-hmm. just, you know, the adventures of young Han Solo. For me, Finn, not just because he's an actor of color, but because of what he represents in the story, he's like a completely new thing. Yeah. And he's one of the very few completely new things we get. This idea of the stormtrooper breaking ranks this idea of him like wanting to escape and be part of something else the little hero's journey that he goes on i ended up with a lot of questions about him oh and yeah i, I want to see a lot more uh, explaining who he is but for me he stood out just because he was the most he was the strongest different element that we yeah. saw in this film that's that was something we hadn't seen before at all uh, I want to clarify because it, it sort of struck me as familiar, but uh, some people are saying that it's new information that stormtroopers are child soldiers. Is that? I mean, so people get confused because, like, it, you see the clones, you see like the Jango Fett yeah. clones in episode two, but like since then, like they did start recruiting real human beings. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So it, it seemed like I mean, the way that that Finn talks about his origin and the small way that he does is like. You know, I was like any other stormtrooper. I was like, they murdered everybody in my village and stole all the children and made us stormtroopers. I was like, that's that's very that's very dramatic. I mean, it's very interesting how we're also very conditioned to see to, for so much more intense imagery and violence and uh, I don't know edginess in stories like this or like um, any franchise stuff, even Marvel stuff, uh, and how 
House of Star Wars has like these horrific things in it, like entire villages being burned down and uh, children being right. lightsabered and stuff. And it's so gentle and delicate about all of it. Like, I can't believe how they treated that in, in episode three when I rewatched it last night. I also like, I was watching the original Star Wars last night. And I, for some reason, in the years and years I've watched that movie, I've never noticed like that one scene when Luke comes back to his home, like see his family. And there are just two charred. Oh, they're two. St- yeah, no, oh, that no, freaked yeah. me out when I was a kid. I didn't. I never noticed until last night. I just like. I just like. Oh, you never noticed. I was that? like, oh, it's it's bur- it's like a burning bush and some like furniture. And then I was like, oh no, that's <laughs> no, it's that's Aunt Beru. <laughs> that's a fucking head. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. Uh, I mean, the way yeah, the way Star Wars deals with violence. I mean, it's very very deliberate. You know, it's trying mm. to. Be, you know, Star Wars is not there to do any really heavy commentary on the nature of violence or the nature of war or anything like that. I mean, they tried to, to a degree in the the prequels, especially like around the Bush administration, but that's, that all seemed really heavy handed. I mean, it's above all of an adventure story. Um, so when it gets to like actually gnarly stuff, it, it sometimes feels ill equipped to deal with it, (laughs) but then I don't, I don't know how much I want it to deal with it. Also, maybe I just want a space story. Um, did anyway. he really say that his whole village was killed, though? I mean, I remember that as he was stolen. He said he was stolen from his family. Oh. And it left me believing that he still maybe had family out there somewhere to, oh. to return to, which is not mentioned. Like, I'd have to go back and watch yeah. it again for that. But I definitely didn't walk away from that. I, I did walk away with the, the child soldier feel. But I thought he just said he was kidnapped, not yeah. like everyone was murdered. Right. And yeah, you brought that up. That was my take, too. You brought up an interesting thing, Tasha, about how, <laughs> I mean, he turns, he kind of has this crisis on on, on the battlefield or, like, while they're doing a raid. Uh, but then, I, because of the, I brought on by a stormtrooper, and one of his fellow stormtroopers getting killed. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and kills a bunch of stormtroopers. Like, like a ton <laughs> of stormtroopers. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into that because that's still something I want to write about at yeah. length. But I'm very curious if he has any fellow feeling at all for all these people behind the masks who, like, that's basically who he was like yeah. five minutes ago. And I, like, I talked about this with Brian, and Brian was the one that pointed out to me that it, all of this is triggered by seeing one of his fellow stormtroopers die. So is that somebody he knew? Is that somebody he cared about? Or is, was he just like, oh, crap, this armor is useless. This yeah. could be me in a second. I'm out of right. here. Because, like, then, like, his, you know, his original fleeing seems to be driven by fear as much as by, like, any sense of, like, empathy or right or wrong. Yeah. He doesn't like seeing people slaughtered. But, yeah. you know, it, he really seems pretty heavily motivated by saving his own skin for a while there. Right. And then out of the blue, he's like, well, I kind of love this girl, so now yeah. I'm brave. And it's it's a great arc. It's just an arc that feels like it's missing a few pieces yeah. filling it in. So wait, was this, yep. his, was this his first outing as a stormtrooper? Like, is this his first time seeing He's action? supposed to be new, but you know what's funny yeah. is that then he says he worked in, as a janitor. So what was he doing raiding a village? <laughs> Why did they send a janitor out to... Promotion. Ooh. He got promoted. <laughs> he got promoted. <laughs> All right. In the real world, come on, in the real world, people get promoted from janitors to like frontline infantrymen slash executors of villages like that. <laughs> They're I just ready. realized that. Star Killer. They want to get more people. Yeah. Further to, to Tasha's point that I thought was really funny, when he rescues Poe, by the way, he rescues Poe later, guys. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And it's like, so is killing a bunch of your 
friends you were hanging out with and working with like 10 he was minutes joking earlier, though yeah, right yeah but do? to be fair like poe calls him on that instantly yeah yeah he's like yeah, yeah you, you you just, just need, need a pilot, pilot. And he's like yeah, yeah i just right. need a pilot he really just wants to get the hell out of there mm-hmm. and he's pretty right. clear about it that he's just trying to save himself at first it's really but then when he gets inspired he like he just turns into like a one-man stormtrooper slaughtering machine yeah. Also, like, part-time Jedi just, like, picks up a lightsaber and is actually pretty good with it. Like, um, I think it's interesting what the humanity of, how the humanity of stormtroopers has changed and been a subject of fascination and preoccupation, like, as a side story through all Star Wars movies or the clones. Like, uh, I think it very much varies depending on, like, the current geopolitical climate not to go too deep here um, I just think like I mean you know that's obviously like the big conversation in clerks but like this this is it, this almost feels like it's playing into that whole discussion like a Kevin Smith discussion of like okay let's go deep on one of these guys and like his relationship with his buddies and everything like let's actually humanize the stormtroopers or a stormtrooper which is very interesting I mean, not all of them are, because now, when then, whenever he goes back and encounters any of them, they all just yell "traitor" at him like a bunch of robots. So, I, don't know. I mean, I can't help but wonder if that's not partially a fan thing, because fans figured out how to make those armor-like suits pretty early on, and I don't think I've been to like a major convention since the mid '80s where there wasn't a battalion of stormtroopers yeah. walking around. Because yeah. as soon as people figured out how to make those suits, it was like me and all my friends are going as like an entire <laughs> troop of, of stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Want to be and a all faceless of a sudden, herd. It became, like a cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I are we good for time? Do we need to do another ad? I, I, the funny thing is, behind the scenes tech note on this podcast, um, the entire crew has walked out of the booth because they don't want to hear our spoilers. <laughs> so we're pretty, we can do whatever we want right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, in case anybody wants to switch topics, but I don't think we do. This week's episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your snail mail to the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for business over to the digital world, but we still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. It's crazy. With Earth Class <laughs> Mail, you get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make writing your business a whole lot easier. Whoa. You also get real professional ad- you get a real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. Right. You'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your front door if you run your business from home. <laughs> Scary. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all type. Visit earthclassmail.com slash vergecast, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's earthclassmail.com slash vergecast. All right. I'm going to do some uh, quick round table uh, questions. Uh, These are mostly going to be geared at people who have seen the movie, but um, if you have not feel free to just like <laughs> do a wild guess like a prediction okay okay uh so uh okay did jj abrams do a good job yes or no brian yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> tasha we're still in did, I, I, did he do a good job at what 
Did he do a good job at, at imitating A New Hope? Yes. Did he do a good job at making an entertaining movie? Yes. Oh. Did he do a good job at creating something entirely new? No. There are yeah. a lot of jobs here. He he succeeded he at was, some, like uh, Finn succeeded at his janitorial duties. No. He, he failed at others. Like he oh, I love oh. the shade so much. J.J. Uh, Abrams, if you need a really expensive brand ambassador, he's your guy. Um, Caitlin, did J.J. Abrams do a good job? Uh, seems, seems like it. I don't know. He seems all right. He seems all right. He seems, he seems better than Colin. What's his face is definitely not going to be. Trevor? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 for that. I wonder if they'll ever rethink that situation. I mean, I'm, undoubtedly Trevor will have another. Is he going to do the next Jurassic Park movie? I would think uh, so. Not directing. Oh, no? He's not directing it? But he's, he's going to have another blockbuster that's not Star Wars in between yeah. now and episode yeah. nine. Like, I... I don't know why I have it in for him so much. I just do. Because <laughs> Jurassic World's like offensively bad to the point where it's mean. Like yeah. if you know you're going to make a billion dollars on something, like you can't just <laughs> try I just to be polite. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not very polite right now because I haven't even seen it and I'm like I'm just <laughs> throwing all the shade. I haven't it. seen it either. So yeah. yeah. It's uh wow. You haven't seen it either? I never got around to it. Yeah. There's no, so me much neither. Else. Yeah. I, I was like, okay, I'll see this this weekend. I didn't. And then I heard everybody thought it sucked. And then I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to add to its profits. Um, <laughs> I'm a conscious consumer. Um, all right. Uh, did JJ Abrams do a good job, Ross? Uh, yes, in the sense that I've had a lot of fun with the marketing campaign. And he's definitely yes. the builder of the hype around that. We didn't even really talk about that. I mean, the amount, now that we're spoiling everything, it's like the idea of spoilers and secrecy is not really an issue anymore. But like that is a huge part of what makes it enjoy, enjoyable to watch for the first time. But then at the same time, like we're saying, if you've seen the original trilogy, you're already spoiled for it. Like right. you can make a very, very decent guess at what's gonna happen just like by filling in blanks from the original. So like I guess I guess that's sort of a surprise in and of itself. But um okay, next question. Who's the best character, the best new character? Um and you can choose a, a main character, like one of the people that is in every scene or almost every scene uh or and 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 then one side character one one fun grab bag character uh brian uh for me my favorite character was uh was ray uh and i definitely agree with what tasha said in that she's definitely like a remix on luke what i liked about her is that she has her shit together so much more than luke ever did Mm -hmm. like luke was whining about not getting to go pick up power converters (laughs) at the store and like you know ray would just fucking like build a power converter out of scratch ray would go to on solo ray would go like like, source one from a downed star destroyer like she's yeah (laughs) right and she's like so self-assured and has her shit together even though she kind of like hasn't really accepted her role um and daisy really i thought just like killed it and there's like that moment at the end when she sorry ross when she finally gets the lightsaber it's cool bro it's like it was such a great great crescendo moment and everybody i mean obviously in the theater everybody loved it because it was the premiere and yay yeah um but it's a great moment i mean that moment like delivers and it's so satisfying yeah no that's a that's a stand up and cheer and then it's like it's funny because i don't know it the the part where she kind of uses the force for the first time to to escape is also another one where it's like it's yeah. funny it's like um, I just spoiled that she has the force uh, she, it's funny I mean they're lighthearted about it and and but it's also like you you're rooting for her at the same time it's not a total joke which is nice um, who's your minor character you like uh, minor character uh, can they be like any character or just like the character I like second best. Any? Like minor character, probably like probably BBA because robot yeah. ball droids. You know, I mean, it's yeah. hard to argue. Totally, <laughs> that's my favorite. 
the major character in, in almost every scene. Huge, huge part of the film. Love him. Um, <laughs> uh, Tasha, what, who is your favorite major character, new character? Finn, for, for reasons yeah. I think I've covered. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, even outside the dynamic of him being new, I just, I really liked seeing this world through his eyes. Like, mm-hmm. Ray does have her shit together, and it's awesome. It's just, it's terrific to see that. But it's also fun to watch Finn go through the process of getting his shit together. Yeah. Like, he makes some hard decisions early on, but watching him kind of become a person instead of just, like, this this fleeing ball of terror is just so exciting. Yeah. And he has so much excitement for what he does. Like, mm-hmm. Ray just kind of proceeds in this, like, all right, we got to get it done. We got to, I'm pulling this thing out and repairing it with my teeth and sticking it back in and it's all going to mm-hmm. work. She's so confident. Whereas he's the one that's like, I blew up a ship. I blew up a ship. He gets yeah. so excited and it's so adorable. Yeah. He's definitely the audience surrogate in that way. I mean, that's maybe why it's useful for him to feel like such the most like whole cloth new characters because he is the audience in a lot of ways. Which is cool. Um, uh, oh, a minor character. Maz. Maz Quintana. Yes. <laughs> I think she's really pretty cool. And my big regret is that she's one of these action movie characters. Uh, like like Marion in uh, the first Indiana Jones movie, essentially, where the story moves to her and then just destroys everything she's built. Right. Uh, she's been running that place for a thousand years, right. Han Solo says. And like within three minutes of the story showing up, the whole place is in rubble and it's really depressing. But she just, she seems like a little, maybe a little too much yoga surrogate, but she also seems like a really pretty cool person who kind of knows like who she is and what she wants and how to work with other people. I would like to see more of her. I I would like her to, to develop a little more character and a little Mm -hmm. less like story point. Mm -hmm. Like she's kind of the exposition deliverer, but She's she's too cool to waste. I think we'll see more of her. I was saying she seemed like a cross between Yoda and Edna Mode from The Incredibles. <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like, that's perfect. That's a great character. Sign me up. I mean, I also can't wait to read the fanfic about her and Chewbacca. <laughs> Uh, that was not spoiled for me what (laughs) it's just like one line (laughs) um caitlin who's your favorite character in star wars lewin davis obviously (laughs) dude yeah he's gonna be the best heart i can already tell yeah he's such a dream boat he this movie really really solidified my uh oscar isaac crush which is just like kind of there but not anything i felt I was just like, oh yeah, like I like Oscar Isaac and pretty much anything. He's great. And now I'm like, oh, Oscar Isaac, hello. <laughs> Even that um, terrible movie with Jessica Chastain where she was constantly putting out cigarettes in the snow. Wait, you know what? the one where he's like a gangster? Oh, oh, oh right. Um, the, whatever it's called. Something yeah. months or seasons. And he's always he wears a camel turtleneck. Yeah, he wears yeah. a turtleneck and a camel uh-huh. coat. Uh, <laughs> great look. I mean, he's also the other thing that's interesting about him, and like this is what I thought when he first got cast is like he looks like an actor from the '70s, so he just like mm-hmm. it helps with that whole look. like he looks like anybody else who could have been in the 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 climactic battle and A New Hope, like just a '70s actor with sideburns, uh, piloting a ship. Um, Emily yeah. Tasha, did either of you think after this movie that Oscar Isaac should be the guy that uh, plays the new Indiana Jones? Because I felt like he was vibing like old Harrison Ford pretty hard. Oh my god. I don't know. Let's see how he can handle a bull whip and then I'll tell you. Uh, Stop. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's I the other I mean, the only thing would be like I like him in stuff like show me a hero and I like him in smaller stuff like Ex Machina. And 
I like that he has a smaller role in this. I mean, he's not he's out of the film for a lot a lot of it, and I'm okay with that. Like the the times where he is there, it, it he's used well. He makes a good impact. Um, I, a little of him goes a long way, and I wouldn't want it to be like, oh, like Oscar Isaac is the star of Star Wars or Indiana Jones or any franchise. Like I want him. I like his whole separate life. I wouldn't like it to all get eaten up by a franchise. But. Well, he's also doing X-Men now also. Oh God, wait, yeah. who is he in X-Men now? He's Apocalypse. He's like the main <sighs> bad guy. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm sorry It's guys. all over. Yeah. <sighs> Why does it... <laughs> I mean, also like the guy who directed Creed, um, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Coogler? Uh, Ryan Coogan? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Coogler or Coogan? I can't Coogler. remember. Coogler, yeah. I mean, him in talks to do Black Panther. It's like, cool, everybody's getting paid. Like, everybody's going to get a great <laughs> job and, like, be rewarded for their talent. These are all talented people who are good at their jobs. So it's like, I kind of felt this way when Ryan Johnson got the episode eight job. I, I was like, I was like, I love his movies. I want another Ryan Johnson movie. Like, I also want episode eight, and I want to see his episode eight. But it's like, yeah, everything's going to live in yeah, Disney 48, man. 2048, 2048. Um... Uh, who's the best character, Ross? Uh, BB-8, without question. I think <laughs> only based on marketing materials and toys. Like that is the most adorable <laughs> robot soccer ball, and I just want to hug it. And I had the little robot toy for a while. And I would literally just watch it, and like I felt empathy yeah. for something I know was just an algorithm, and it just. Like, <laughs> I'm so excited to when see you it. have empathy for the algorithm. That's when they've really got you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I still oh god, I was supposed to bring it in today. I've had it at my house, our 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 BB-8, and it's not. I wasn't actually trying to steal it. <laughs> I kept meaning to bring it back, but then I was like, I just love looking at it, and I I, I don't know what are they going to do with it in the office, like. It's okay. I think, I think we do have a spare one too. Okay. Well, I'm going to bring it back. Okay. I am. <laughs> Maybe. I'm trying to figure out what the Rolling Stones' empathy for the algorithm would sound like. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's their like the eight bit remix. You know, that's their update. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Can we just title this podcast "Empathy for Star Wars"? <laughs> empathy for the algorithm. Episode, whatever episode of the Vergecast this is. Um, uh, in case anybody cares, my favorite characters are, um, uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Ray and BB 8. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's such a, um, it is such a fantasy fulfillment to have to watch a Star Wars movie with like this plucky, scrappy girl character. Like, even, yeah, she's kind of flawless. She's not that complex, maybe, because she's just too perfect. But like, she is every fanfic character that was written by a female Star Wars fan in the late 90s when there were really no female characters in Star Wars at all, um, other than Princess Leia and I guess Mara Jade, if you've read the books, which I did not. I just know that name. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, there was this always this character that was like the Mary Jane character, which is fanfic for the the audience surrogate character who's new, like a, a creation of the author. And it was always this character that like kind of looks like Ray. And uh, this idea of like living in the Star Wars universe, being kind of kick-ass and independent, having an adorable little orb following you around is like my fantasy, like for life. I would. <laughs> I would live in that world for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, I kind of have to, I have to, but I mean, I liked, every, I liked all the new characters. We haven't even talked about Han and Luke mm. and Leia that much, um, which uh, Han, I thought, was, like, surprisingly not as, like, wedged in as um, 
as I thought that the, the, the older characters were going to be. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought. I thought it was really interesting how Leia's grown up and she's like, like replaced Mon Mothma in a way. Like she's become this elder statesman and Luke's grown up and he became Obi-Wan and he trained a bunch of people and then he was betrayed and he like has recapitulated all that stuff that happened before and he went into exile and Han Solo. It's, it was like, we just can't think of anything cooler for him to do than be Han Solo. So he has just reverted (laughs) to where he was at the very beginning of new hope. He's having like like, a, three-quarter life crisis (laughs) (laughs) he's just like he's doing exactly what he was doing and he seems to be in exactly as much trouble he has no money like maybe he went out and blew it all on like a shiny new red coupe and it got blown up i don't know but i I just think it's really interesting that the entire rest of the world has moved on and he's still han solo yeah yeah He's the he's the the uncle who still goes to like foreigner concerts that lives in the basement. <laughs> I mean, although, I will say based on Charlie, he still he does the one difference is it seems like he does believe in the force at least now. Like it's yeah. not the hokey religion thing. Mm-hmm. He is like the guy that convinces like everyone. You know, this is kind of a real yeah. thing, guys. He's seen some shit. Yeah, he's like he's like <laughs> he's seen some shit. <laughs> It um, seemed like a believable arc, though, to me, because like at the end of Jedi, he becomes like this like really, really nice guy who's like joking and never felt true to the character. So it always seems like that guy who did shoot first, right? Because yeah. not pretend the special editions happened. It seemed it makes sense that he if, even if he had a great thing with, you know, General Princess Leia, he would fuck it up in some capacity. And like he doesn't necessarily fuck it up the way they, you know, tell us it in this big like single scene of exposition. Um, but it actually seems strangely true that he would just end up doing that same thing because he's just not capable of growing. Yeah. Um, I, he gets that little line that he throws to to Finn where he's like, he basically says, you know, that Finn should stop keeping secrets from Ray because women always figure out the truth, which like puts my hackles up a little because it's very like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, stupid generalization kind of stuff. But to me, it really speaks to like he he fucked up. He did something. Yeah. And yeah. we don't know what it is, but she figured it out and they had to go their separate ways yeah. and the sheepishness that hangs over him whenever mm-hmm. he's around her is just like i like i know i messed up i wish we could get back together i know we can't like you can read all of that in his face i think it's really interesting yeah there's such a like exes like trading off the kids feel when they first meet like like an ex-wife and husband like okay well have a good weekend bye good to see you you did something different with your hair like uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very i mean that that i think that that's actually very interesting because it is it is bold in a way to revert the whole like they fell in love and everything was cool after that um which is like just the, all we've known of those characters forever is that like they ended up together they probably got married and had a kid and that was it and everything was awesome in the universe and like i mean that is just like the rest of the, the the film is like that in a way too. It's just like okay, they like the rebels won, but like it wasn't that easy. And like Han and Leia got together, but it wasn't that easy. And that's actually kind of like if there's one kind of grim dark aspect of the entire movie, which there's really not that much that's grim or dark about this movie. Uh, I I think like at least compared to a lot of other things, uh, it would be that just that that kind of existential like it's never there's no such thing as an ending. It's like into the woods or something. <laughs> To bring it back to to some territory that Caitlin's like happy with, <laughs> <laughs> I understand it now that we're talking about musicals. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So who's who from Into the Woods and Star Wars? Oh no! Don't spoil Into the Woods for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Actually, I'm, I, I I made up that question without knowing if there was actually any clear cut answer. Um, 
Well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to get to. Um, oh, you're uh, going to do the, uh, the witch callbacks work. I'm really oh, yeah. curious to hear that. Oh, yeah, real quick, because we don't have too much time left, but let's... So this, as we've been saying over and over again, this, uh, this movie has a ton of callbacks, and uh, I, think, I think it's a diminishing returns thing. I think a lot more earlier in the film work than later in the film, but I'm curious to see what you guys think. Uh, I'll, I'll just ask guys who've seen the movie, what do you think, uh, what do you think Brian, which was your favorite? Uh, good question. It's, uh, I mean, literally in the, in the film starts, it feels like every third shot is some sort of callback or like reference. I think the one that I found just most, you know, on a gut level entertaining was there's a joke made about parsecs, which has been a thing because, you know, parsecs being distance versus time, like, you know, that line never made sense. And they actually kind of like joke about it. And it's the first time they, they undercut the originals or they undercut themselves and it actually plays. They do it again later with the death star and other times. And it just is like, okay, we get it. It's a cop out. Good job guys. But <laughs> that one for me just played. but I could have been just been basking in the moment of like, Hey, Han Solo's back for the first time in like 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. What what was your uh what was the thing that you were less thrilled with? Uh there's a moment where you're following Poe's X-wing as it goes through and I forget what the actual term was. They're they're blowing up something that will make something unstable that will make Star Killer base blow up. And it was just like the same kind of approach shot. I'm uh -huh. like, "Oh, yep. Uh -huh. I know the shot. Seen yep. the shot. I fell okay, off in the same point, too." Yeah. yeah. And you could kind of feel it in the theater, I think, too. There was a lot of applause for a lot of callbacks in my theater. And that one, I don't mm -hmm. know. It was, I think it just, at that point, it was just like, just hitting that same part of your brain over and over and over again. Um, Tasha, what worked for you as far as callbacks? Um, I was so happy when the, when the first Wilhelm scream came up. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I geeked out super hard. I'm like, it's a really obvious one, but I'm glad they did it. Uh, you know, I laughed every time Finn ran across some piece of history, like in the Millennium Falcon, when he comes up with like the little uh, flying target thing or like the hologram game or the fact that they climb into the, the same smuggler, like, pods yeah, that yeah. Uh, Han Solo built like all of that stuff worked for me the only one that really didn't for me is when Kylo Ren is like you know I'm not that person anymore because I killed him and it's like they're calling back to when Obi-Wan Kenobi told Luke uh, Darth Vader killed your father right and then later yeah. we find out that's not true and he's like ah oh, it sort of kind of is I guess ish mm -hmm. and it's like it's been a huge like fan sticking point forever so when Kylo Ren is like when I stopped being that person, I killed him. It's like they're still trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that, that fetch is not happening. Like, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and it stands out as clunky too. It's just like not very poetic or like trying to be poetic, but not really. I don't know. I, uh, I have to say, and I'm going to spoil one other big thing, but the Kylo Ren and Nahan confrontation did not work for me at all. I was, I could see it coming from like, I mean, obviously they're telegraphing it. And I think, I, I mean, I think they want you to think that, Oh, maybe it'll go another direction because there's such a long pause. There's like an incredible fake out that lasts like, it feels like an hour. Uh, but you, you just know it's not, this is star Wars. There's like a, there's a certain grammar that it has to follow. And, and, uh, somebody's going to die and it's going to be the older person because that's how heroes are born or, or I don't know. Um, it also feel like you're, 
we all know like Harrison Ford's not going to do another like full exactly. franchise. Like that too. He just came yeah. to like finish, like to scrap off a little bit. It's like, okay, you're going to kill me. Cool. I'm done. Yeah. He's been um, way too happy doing the promotional tour to have actually lived through the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm done. One last lap. Uh, the, the one thing I, I, I think probably the part where I actually did, despite myself, clap is the first reveal of the Millennium Falcon. Like, because it's done in such a, it's, it's done during it in the middle of an action sequence. Everything is moving at a really, really lightning fast clip. And uh, it's just a total swish pan side gag to reveal the Millennium Falcon. And it works so well. It's like so. It's just a callback to the Millennium Falcon being a piece of shit and like that nobody would want to fly it and, and they're talking about the shift that's, that's off off screen and then and then you zoom over and there there it is there's the Millennium Falcon and I, I I don't know it was just that whole scene that whole action sequence that that got applause in our theater just at the end of it because it's so there's a lot of character information in it as well and as these callbacks that make you feel great and it's also just like a really well shot scene and in a way in a more dynamic way than they were ever able to do in the originals and that they opted not to do in the the prequels so um and the, i mean we could talk about like i feel like another half hour about cinematography because and editing because that's another thing i noticed in watching episode three last night is that like how staid all that stuff is in those prequels how it feels so stagey and unimaginative you never get up close to characters they're always kind of like these cut out dolls on in the screen and um, and this film, you really really get in characters' faces, and you you move with them, and you move behind them, and alongside them, and it's uh, it makes it feel a lot more real and like immersive, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, I uh, we we're about we're about out of time, you guys. I need to if we, if if there are no more further um, further comments, maybe everybody everybody can just sign off with the the one thing that they. Uh, the biggest question you have after watching the film, the the biggest unsolved mystery that may or may not be solved in a future movie slash comic book slash video game slash uh, Snapchat feed slash uh, any other platform. <laughs> Who wants uh, to the one the when I walked out of the theater, the first thing we were talking about was so are Ray and Kylo Ren brother and sister or not? Um, but after thinking about the film, I realized pretty much every question I walked into the theater with didn't get answered. Like, they don't talk about Jakku really in the movie. They don't talk about how Luke's, like, lightsaber showed up. Like, there are all these things that people have been, like, theorizing and teasing and, like, deconstructing trailers about. And the movie actually answers next to none of it, which I right. thought was really interesting and kind of mm -hmm. disappointing. But at least a lot of, like, fertile ground for yeah. comic books and books and hopefully future movies. Hot take. The Force Awakens is just another <laughs> trailer. <laughs> ah, guitar. Um. <laughs> You can't grab your mic. Your mic is fixed to your table. <laughs> um, uh, Tasha, what was your, your, your biggest question upon leaving? You know my biggest question. My biggest question was, Emily, can I write a piece about all these mysteries yes. that are not being dealt with? Oh, we're going to address all of it. Uh, look for that <laughs> sometime after the weekend, after everybody's had a chance to digest all this stuff, and, and we will immediately start to pick it apart to shred yeah, there, tiny there were little a shreds. Lot. A lot of questions, but most of those questions were intended by the movie, and I think most of them will be answered either in the ancillary materials or in 
the next film. The only one that I think bugged me just in a why, why the hell are you doing this one was C-3PO's red arm, which we know like it, it was never intended to be like answered in the film. It's the province of a comic book that hasn't even come out yet. And now isn't going to come out until February. Like that's all going to be dealt with off screen. What my big question was, why did we make a big deal out of it in the film? Like, why is it there? It yeah. adds nothing to the movie. It's just a distraction, but it's a distraction that they make a point of calling your attention to. Yeah. And they make a point of saying, and we're not going to deal with this right now because it's not important. It's like, don't why worry are you about my red arm. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. I, um, yeah. And that, that's one of those things that like, I, I remember watching when I was obsessed with the original trilogy, there are so many things that like catch your attention. You're like, Oh, I'm going to go f- look up, find out what this is about or find like read more on, you know, somebody's GeoCities homepage. Uh, and I don't know if I would feel a way about some of these things, some of these little loose ends, like how intriguing they actually are. Um, I would say my biggest question and also one of the things that we didn't even talk about that really doesn't work for me uh, is, is Snoke. Uh, I don't understand why, who, uh, why does he look like that? Um, where did he come from? Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I, I, that was one of the weakest links of the, the movie to me. Um, is this something like you, you care about like in the moment or is it like it just doesn't matter? It's just like I don't know if he needed a master, honestly. Like I could see Kylo Ren just being bad on his own. Like it just feels like that's another indebted like echo of the old films, like Darth Vader kneeling down before the 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 hologram of the of the Emperor. Like I I don't know what role he plays in the story beyond being that guy that he can talk to. Okay. So I don't know. Didn't work yeah. for me. And sort of yeah. a waste of Andy Serkis because he didn't like move. He was just like a really okay. static character. Um, I guess the voice was cool, but it was it was a really it was an odd thing for me. Yeah, and it was a case of the effects didn't work either. I thought the one thing I think it did add was that all the people in that organization are super young, like General Hux and like you know and Kylo Ren. They're all relatively young, so it made sense there'd be some sort of like older person, maybe some sort of leftover or somebody with storied knowledge that could be mm-hmm. kind of like leading the whole thing from behind the scenes. But I uh, did not love the the character work. Maybe it's like work. maybe it's like Google where like Larry and Sergey weren't that old, so they brought Eric Schmidt along. He's their Eric Schmidt. <laughs> you know, I think Eric Schmidt really nerdy reference. Looks I'm like sorry. Eric Schmidt a little bit. I'm <laughs> think of it. He's like um no, I was going to make a Hall and Catch Fire reference that two people would get. Um all right. Well, we're going to wrap it up cuz we've already gone a little bit over um Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, And let me tell you something about Braintree real quick. Uh, uh, Thanks for Braintree for sponsoring today's episode of The Vergecast. Braintree gives you not brains on a tree, but a full stack payment solution. Support for all your payment ty- for, for all payment types your customers might want. Start accepting Android Pay, Apple Pay, PayPal, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and whatever's next, all with a single integration. Now you can take them all in over 130 currencies. As your company grows, Braintree will stay by your side from your first dollar to your, billion, your billionth. And all it takes is a couple lines of code to get started. To learn more, visit BraintreePayments.com slash Vergecast. And um, real quick Twitter roll call. Um, you can follow The Verge on Twitter, at Verge. Um, and Snapchat is The Real Verge. I actually know Snapchat no. is now just Verge. Oh, yeah. okay. It's done, done. Yeah. All right. Verge, we got it. Mm-hmm. We got that. Finally. We got that rare name. Um, <laughs> uh, I am Emily Yoshida on Twitter. Uh, Ross is Ono Roscoe on Twitter. Brian is Brian Bishop on Twitter. 
And BC Tasha, Bishop. what? BC Bishop. BC Bishop. I knew I was going <laughs> to miss one. This is like, I was just testing myself. Who is I was Brian like, Bishop on Twitter? Um, and Tasha is Tasha Robinson. Just Tasha Robinson, right? On just Twitter. Tasha Robinson. Yeah. And, uh, and Caitlin is um, K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. My name was taken. I'm sorry. Heinous <laughs> Twitter handle. Um, and we are all um, going to be talking about Star Wars probably all weekend. So, yeah. Um, this is fun. This is great. Sorry to ruin it for everybody in the re- in the nearby vicinity who hasn't. I'm literally leaving this now to go wait in line to go see my screening of Star Wars. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, we better get out of here then. Uh, thanks, all. We'll okay. see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.